Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about rhythms for building resilience so you can take charge of your mental, spiritual, and relational health. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's build resilience together. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Rhythms for Life podcast, and I'm so glad that you are joining us today and just continuing to be a part of this series where we continue to learn about resilience in all kinds of ways. And today we're going to get to talk about physical fitness, and you're going to actually hear from someone who's created an incredible program that helps people in this area called Pilates. Now, I got to tell you, I have not done Pilates before. I mean, maybe once. I think I was in a gym with Rebecca, and and I tried a few moves, and, and I've looked at the machine that sometimes is used for that. But but what I can say is is that Robin Long, who you're going to hear from today, is incredible at this. And I'll tell you more about it in just a moment. But also, as we head into the fall, as we head into October, I want to encourage you, come join us in Franklin, November 16th and 17th. You can be a part of our Rhythms Retreat, and we're going to have a great time. We've got Dr. Josh Axe with us. We've got Lori Loki. We've got Kurt Thompson now joining us virtually. Uh, we've got Chip Dodd in person with us for a couple of sessions. It's going to be tons of Q&A, but a broad discussion around mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, relational health. And I got to say, and I've said this a few times before, if you're a, a lady who's listening to this and you're a wife of a husband who does not enjoy these kinds of conversations and you're like, I don't know how to get him to listen to this podcast, I want him to hear some of the things we're talking about. This has been such a breakthrough moment for so many men because they're in a room with a lot of other men. It's not just couples, but there are a lot of men there. And when they come to it, they they really enjoy the dialogue. They 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 start to get it. They realize they're not being left out of this conversation. They're not being talked about. But I represent a lot of the men in the room, somebody who's worked through their own emotional health journey, who hasn't got it all figured out, but I kind of stumble along and it's been so fruitful and my relationship with Rebecca and with my friends and my kids that I think you'll love it. So go to RebeccaLyons.com slash retreat, and you can learn all about it. You can register, get one of those seats while they're still available. And just a reminder, you can use code RFL100 to get a discount on your ticket to the Rhythms Retreat. And I also want to remind you that Rebecca's journal and planner is out for building a resilient life, and you will love this journal. It walks you through how to live out these rules of resilience in your life. If you're like me and you're you're busy and you really need some guides and some frameworks and some ways where you read something, you're inspired by it, you listen to a podcast, you're encouraged by it, but you're really trying to figure out, well, what's the path forward for me? This is designed specifically to help you map that out in a very simple way. And so I'd encourage you to go to RebeccaLyons.com slash journal where you can, not only after purchasing it, you can come in, but you can access coaching calls that Rebecca's done specifically to help coach you along this journey of resilience. There's two specific video conversations she'll have with you there, and I think you'll really enjoy that. Well, as we move into the dialogue today, and Robin Long, she is a longtime friend. She wrote a book called Well to the Core, a realistic, guilt-free approach to getting fit and feeling good for a lifetime. And man, I got to tell you, with Rebecca and I kind of cresting into this season in our late 40s, health means so much. And being physically active and finding rhythms and routines that don't take forever, don't take all day, don't take a commitment you know, to a gym for one year, but but are you're able to do within the convenience of your life. And I think you'll find with the discussion today how Robin Long has done that. And she's created a way for more and more people to enjoy this physical rhythm of being fit, of being healthy, of getting strong, and all the ways in which that benefits not only your body, but your mental health. And so I'm excited for you to listen now to Rebecca's conversation with Robin Long. 
Welcome back to the podcast, Robin. I am so excited for our conversation today. Thank you. I am honored to be back. It's been a minute. And um, I loved the very first time I met you and the conversation that began from that. And so for some who are new in this podcast journey of Rhythms for Life, we've been doing this for a few years now. Um, But I first met you through our kindred (laughs) uh, battle with anxiety, something that we had both walked through in our Mm -hmm. adult lives. And we were trying to find practices uh, to to face that, to confront that, to overcome that. So just catch our listeners up a little bit on how anxiety kind of catapulted this vocational work that you're in now. Yes. It, it was a huge catapult for me into this line of work that I'm in now. And it's one of the things that still just drives me to want to share this with other people and to continue to practice it in my own life. So when I was in my early 20s, I started experiencing symptoms of anxiety and I had never experienced anything like it before. So mm-hmm. it was very confusing. It came on strong and it came on hard and I was in a season of transition. So I was out of college, working my first professional career job. I was newly engaged to my husband or now husband. I was engaged just going through that season of change and transition and I started experiencing debilitating anxiety. I mean, to the yeah, point. Yeah, what did that of, look like? For me, that looked like I was fearful of everything. Everything. Um, my mind would loop constantly um, on fears or things that I was worried about. A lot of my fears and worries centered around health. So I was experiencing some unexplained symptoms with my health at the time. I was having these stomach aches. I was having some body aches, which is very interesting to look back on and even knowing how anxiety can manifest in the body that I didn't know at the time. But I I did have some other physical health things going on that I eventually found out, but I was in a season where I couldn't get any answers. So as a result, I was panicked. Like I thought something was seriously wrong and no doctors were giving me an answer. I was literally told by a doctor that I was in just an enigma. And, you know, but that no one wants to hear that. (laughs) No, especially someone who's, you know, extremely worried. And it's like, that's it. And you're going to send me home. And so, and, but it would show up in so many ways. And I like to be really practical and give examples because when you are in anxiety, it feels really isolating, right? And it feels really lonely and like nobody can understand my thoughts right now. So I, you know, I would get a spider bite or some little bite and I would be just looping on what if it's poisonous? you know, and what if there's, I'm going to have a reaction and you tell someone these things and they're like, oh, you're fine. No, it's fine. You're going to be fine. But that's not, no, that does the opposite. Actually, it's dismissive. I think, yeah, it's dismissing somebody. It's not actually meeting them where they are and trying to seek to understand or be curious. And I think that that does not help for anyone listening that has someone like that in your life. You trying to shut that down is only going to make it worse. Um, so, so for starters, don't do that. <laughs> yes. And it took going to therapy um, and even understanding some of those tools, right? Like you just shared with, you know, even with my new, my new husband at the time, he's does not deal with anxiety. And so he was very quick to be like, it's no big deal. We learned some tools at the time. There's still one we use to this day of even him coming to me when I have something that may be becoming an anxious thought and just helping. What is, where is this on the scale? 
Like yeah. we had developed a scale one to 10. So he could kind of know, no, this is a one. I'm just mentioning it to you because I just want you to know it's on my mind versus, mm-hmm. no, I'm at a 10 and we need to do some things. We need to pause. Right you know, now. I'm having trouble functioning. Like that's where I was at. Like it was holding me back from functioning fully in life, being able to go to work, being able to go out with friends. Um, so, and you would hope, you would hope that you could do it sooner so that it, most of these would be ranging one to five because it's when you ignore or feel isolated or alone in that anxiety that it gets to 10. Yes. But when you share space with somebody, you know, when 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 someone's willing to sit with you in it and kind of help you verbally process, I don't know for you, but for me, yes, that's all of a sudden I, I can say it out loud and work it out with someone who's patient, not in a hurry or rushed or dismissive and go, oh, this was kind of free counseling just now. I actually feel like the burden is lighter. It's more approachable. It's less scary. Now I said it out loud. You shared it with me. And that's, you know, that's the thing is that when we hold it inside so long, it grows exponentially. So that's a a great practice to do, scale one to 10, as soon as you start to know there's something there. Absolutely. And I just think about that all the time of that. It's bringing it into the light. You know, when you can get something into the light like that, it really, really helps not feeling so alone. So I love that you brought that up. So I was dealing with this in, you know, this very overwhelming way. And I remember having thoughts of like, oh my gosh, like, is this going to be my life forever? Like, am I just not myself anymore? And this is how it's going to be. And anyone who's dealt with really strong anxiety can probably relate to those feelings. And it was through a couple of things. I always like to share that there's there was not one magic pill. Pilates was not my magic pill that just, oh, anxiety disappeared. I, it was through counseling. It was through prayer. It was through being in community, you know, facing all of this. However, Pilates did play a really impactful role for me yeah. during this season of my life. And really, up until this point, exercise for me had been a means to an end. It had been something I needed to do because I wanted to fit in my clothes, wanted to avoid gaining weight, a lot of external pressure. Um, I had really negative body image and a lot of just trying to go along with what culture and society says I need to look like and do. So that's why I exercised. When I found Pilates, all of that changed. I can still remember my first class And I can still remember when the instructor just really had us lay on our mat and take a few deep breaths and release tension from our body. And I was just amazed at the amount of tension I was holding in my body. And part of my anxiety and fear was literally around this tension. Like, why does my shoulder always hurt? When I was able to start to build that mind-body connection Mm -hmm. and really reconnect with my body again it opened a door to move through anxiety in a different way and to actually use my body and get out of just my mind and get into my body. And it started a whole journey for me. And so that was, you know, mm-hmm. many years ago, 15 years ago that that started. And I still use it as a tool to this day that supports my, you know, keeping myself in a healthy place as often as possible. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir. I think we, for too long in the faith community and outside of that, 
um, separated the mind and the body. And God never did that. He he wasn't like, I created your brain, but I stopped there. No, I, I created your, like the, the whole being is integrated mm-hmm. <laughs> and it all works together. And I think sometimes, especially in the mental health conversation, it's like, I'm just going to go to counseling, which is good. Like, yes, you need to actually sharpen the mind and, and pay attention to those things, but you're still sedentary on a couch, often with one other brain in the room. And you can manipulate that brain for many weeks on end because you've kind of understand the triggers. You might understand what's happening, but you're not actually working the trauma or the pain out. Like it's, it, it, it is so physical. And I like that you're talking about this embodied nature because in even in the scriptures, Romans 12 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and don't be conformed to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. It's saying that when you present your whole bodies, your mind will be renewed. It's not just like, um, it's not everyone's just taking notes in church. No, they're going out and they're like walking and and they're eating a Middle Eastern diet. There was no Uber. Like everything with Jesus was embodied, laying hands, ministering, healing, all the things was very physical. And I started seminary about a month ago. And we're talking about this all the time right now, that when our faith puts on skin, right? And it's like, and and that's when you're like, it's, it's like the whole scriptures are active. It's full of action. And I think we forget that. And we think it's all about what to ponder. And we almost elevate this like uh, intellectualizing everything, but not actually living it. Like the, the grit and the movement and the dirt and the gardening and, and all the yes. things that now I'm trying to integrate into my life. So, Love so that. Pilates is the vehicle. And I've, I've been an avid follower of your work now for a few years. And I love that you every month are putting out these incredible programs and plans and meal plans, but also movement plans and action plans. And there's a holistic approach to what you do. Um, so let's talk about your new your new book, Well to the Core. I, I love it. It's from the inside out, right? Like you, you're, you're embodied from this integrated approach. Um, talk about what that's looked like, how, how it evolved. You started Pilates, then you started this, this company, small business, and it's turning into much, much more. You rebranded. Um, what have you learned over the last 15 years as you are in this more and more? What kind of transformation have you personally encountered and what are you seeing in other women? Yes. So I, first of all, I love what you're talking about just in terms of the power of being embodied, right? And getting back into our body again. I agree. It's something that has been separated for so long. And thankfully, you know, it's catching up. Like research is catching up to what we already have known and seen in the scriptures, as you're even saying. Um, but when you can make the connection between what's happening in your mind, in your body, it's like everything shifts. So one of the messages that I've been so passionate about sharing because it's been born out of my journey is really shifting the lens in which we view why should we take care of our body, right? Like I, the first chapter of the book is called reframing. And when so many of us have been a part of a culture that focuses on exercise and focuses on health for primarily aesthetic reasons, right? Every marketing message, everything, messages we received in our households potentially, or Mm -hmm. from friends Mm -hmm. and family or dance teachers or soccer coaches or different things over the years have fed a narrative about we need to look a certain way on the outside. You know, 
there's an ideal body shape or an ideal body that we need to attain. And so many of us, myself included, this was my journey. That was my motivation for pursuing exercise and, and eating well. And that's, you know, I don't know if you can yeah. relate to that on your journey at any point, but that's, that's yeah, the norm. I think that's what, that's what was communicated to us in the eighties and the nineties. You know, um, it was always a means to an end Yes, and it was very transactional. So we almost became transactional with our own bodies. Like if you, if you obey and do these hard things, you're going to look a certain way so that you can then present yourself acceptable. And so, yeah, it's very kind of harmful. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we detached ourselves from our bodies. Like we were able to beat up our body, even though we're just looking for belonging and connection. <laughs> and, and so we're like, we'll get that if our body behaves. <laughs> yes. Th- yes. And and so as a result, I always say I was working against my body. Like my body was kind of the enemy or the thing I needed to fix and change ironically, in an effort to belong, right? And that looks different for all of us based on our culture, you know, where our family system, all of the, it can look very different, but the pressure was real. And the narrow message that we received of when we attain that, that that is actually equivalent to being healthy. Yeah, And that's really one of the narratives that I'm challenging in this book. Is that what health looks like? Mm. You know, maybe, Maybe, depending on what's going on in all the other areas of your life. But in in the book, I wanted to expand that view of what it really means to be well. Could you have ripped muscles and a six-pack and all of that and be well to the core, truly well? Absolutely. But could you also not be? Yes, because we've seen that. We've maybe experienced it ourselves or um, seen it in other ways where someone may look physically fit and like they've got this whole workout routine together. But what about Mm. all of the other things of what it means to be well in our body and our mind, right? Our rhythms of rest, which you talk so much about resting, our breathing, our, you know, I go into 10 core components that really my goal is to expand that view of wellness and hopefully in a way that is actually refreshing and helpful, not like, oh, now we have to do all these things. It actually should lift the load. Yeah. It's just not a to-do list. This is more of a understanding. So how would you define well? So to me, well is being able to go live your life, your individual life to the fullest. Like that's my mission and purpose, right? So that may look different. um, That will look different for each person depending on your season of life that you're in, depending on if you're navigating, um, you know, chronic conditions or diseases or injuries, you know, we have to consider what is that for us and how can you be living your life to the fullest? So my goal always with our programs, with my workouts, with um, the book is how can we support you? How can I support you or you support yourself really, but provide the tools and guidance so that you're not held back by your yeah. physical limitations or health or your mental, you know, I think coming from back to the beginning of this conversation, I could not live my life to the fullest by any stretch when I was paralyzed under the weight of anxiety. Um, so that to me, you know, I could have been in the best physical shape of my life, but I wasn't well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's this idea of like, what is the boulder in your room, right? There's if if you could still even op- be operating at 60% or 70%, but there's still something there that's weighing you down. Um, and 
and, and scripture talks about this, like there's a sin or a weight that literally keeps you from running the life that you were meant to live. It's it's just literally a burden that you that you've somehow acquired along the way and then you try to carry it, but it becomes a boulder and, and it buries um so how I I love how you've defined it to the fullest. Another way I say it is like, what is flourishing? look like for each of us. Mm-hmm. And it's really very much directly connected to the the life we've been born into and the family of origin and and the vocational birthright gift that the Lord gives us and the people we get to run alongside. I mean, what is our version of flourishing? And that there is a fullness to that, right? Like mm-hmm. almost like you lay your head on the pillow at night and you just exhale, like there's a gratitude attached to it. There's a work where you leave a part of yourself in it. There's a real belief attached to that. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you seen this core message um, translate for people who to go from this is not a to-do or a transaction or a means to an end, but it, this is this is a rhythmic cadence for the rest of your days. How have you seen people move from A to B yeah. uh, where the lights go on? They're like, no, this is so much fun that I just don't ever want to do life different than this. Right. Because when you achieve that, when you can find that for yourself, everything changes, right? You've experienced that. I've experienced that. And it's a 180 shift of how you view taking care of yourself. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is rediscovering your motivation, right? So flipping kind of to go back to what we were talking about earlier, but like I say in the book, shifting the focus from what you want to fix to how you want to feel. So Mm, if we can recognize first and foremost, what lies are we still believing about exercise, about food, about our health that may not actually be true, you know, because we, we've got a lot of those. So there's work to do there for each of us, but we can start to become aware of, oh man, that's a narrative that is keeping me stuck. We can start to shift. Okay. Instead of wanting to fix the size of my thighs or the size of my belly and having that be the primary reason we're motivated to take care of ourselves, What if we asked ourselves, how do I want to feel? You know, I want to feel, I'm a mom of four. I run a business, right? I want to feel energetic. I want that was my first one. Yeah. <laughs> energy, please. I want to like, make it stay through the afternoon without a crash. Yes. You know, yeah, like 100%. I, in, in order to do that, there are things I have to do and they make a big difference, right? So prioritizing yeah, tell my us sleep. Those things. Sleep first and foremost. The afternoon crash is the worst. Go ahead. Yes. And I actually experienced a few years ago a season of some pretty severe like adrenal burnout and challenges. So I have I had four kids. I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and then I had twins. And that'll really, that'll really wear you out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That'll really send your nervous system into overdrive for a few years. And my body was relying on cortisol and um, quick fixes and, you know, sweet treats in the afternoon and anything that I could do to keep those quick energy boosts throughout the day to just make it through the day. Even though I live and teach and work in the wellness space, I was in a survival mode, right? With my little babies and trying to get through. Well, as a result, my body had, it works. So here's the interesting thing. It worked for my body. Like my, your body wants to support you. Your body will do what it needs to do to get you through a season or to get you through something. So my body was saying, here's all the cortisol you need to keep going, keep going, keep going. Well, at a certain point it says, this is not sustainable. This is actually not healthy. So we're going to take the cortisol and just 
<laughs> no more pumping off cortisol. And as a result, my energy crashed, right? And I was just hitting these huge afternoon slumps. And I've had to do a lot of work to rebuild. And so sleep has become a primary focus for me. Um, and I hear and I hear myself and I'm recognizing all of the people who have little, you know, if you're listening and you're in the newborn season or you have a someone in your home that disrupts your sleep, grace for yourself, right? There's only so much we can control. My twins are now five, so I'm getting more sleep. <laughs> but even this morning, you know, when this is these 10 core components in the book, it in my my hope is that it widens the view. So I had to ask myself this question today. I'm leading my whole team summit. I have everyone in town. I need the energy to be on stage in front of people all the way until probably 10 o'clock tonight. And I was going to, I was like, okay, I can either get up and do a workout and wake up super early, or I can make sure I get my sleep. I prioritize the sleep. And sometimes we have to make those choices. And the more we get in tune with ourselves, that doesn't mean I won't go for a walk later, or I might do something, you know, tomorrow, but today I knew I need the sleep for the energy. And we often think we can like rob from one area of wellness <laughs> to serve another. So the more we understand our own bodies and start to get more in tune with, wow, what did I do yesterday? I, okay. I did get eight hours of sleep and I showed up completely differently today. Or why am I in a little bit of a better mood today? I went for a 30 minute walk at the end of my workday. So starting to, again, make these connections to how we feel, which requires embodiment, right? It requires paying attention to how we feel in our body, what are some of these symptoms, and um, understanding that when we start to focus on how some of these wellness practices make us feel, our whole motivation changes. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I need my walk. I need my sleep. I need my water. And you just become more motivated to actually want to do it. Not perfectly, but prioritize it. And and also uh, just put systems in your life where it's easily accessible. Like find just the easy ways to like have your favorite. I have a simple modern, like <laughs> that's not a product placement plug, but I have my favorite tumbler in my car. It'll go with me into the office. I'm always refilling it. Keeps it cold. Uh so always, there's always hydration all around the clock, whether it's by my bedside. Um, but then also, like you said, I think this afternoon slump is a thing for moms, especially as the kids are getting off the bus. That's when you want to be on. That's when you're excited. Like you've kind of had your time earlier and you want to be present. I work uh, on the weekends a little bit too with some travel for work, but my work day in the office or working from home ends at three when the kids get home. But that's also when I've, if I've been sedentary that entire time from about eight to three, in meetings or on my computer, I just want to crash. I just, yes. because I haven't had any movement. So I can either like eat a sugar cookie, which is really tempting mm -hmm. and a latte, or I can just go, I'm going to get outside very quickly and hydrate pretty well. Um, and you will get that energy boost back. Um, and that oxytocin pumping again, or the serotonin that's just released when you raise your heart rate for only 10 to 15 minutes. It does not have to be intense, but that happy hormone and that energy just comes right back. And it's so helpful because the temptation is that cookie sounds really good right now. I earned it. Yes. <laughs> and it's sitting. my afternoon treat. And yeah. really it does give us the temporary boost. So we're craving in the afternoon, we're craving, our body is telling us, yeah. You need you need some quick energy, right? And so the coffee and the sugar cookie does provide that quick energy, but it also provides the quick crash. So yes. it 
it's, it's, I think when you understand that it is helpful to know, like, that's why I'm craving this. Cause my body is saying you need something right now to get your energy up, but we can have other choices and yeah. a, a 10 minute Pilates workout, a 10 minute walk. You will be amazed at how that can shift that. What could they eat? Because I still like to eat something. What could they eat that won't have a crash? Is it like more of a date or dried apricot? Like what What kind of things yeah. are a so yum, yummy, to... still sweet fix, but not this added sugar fix? Which is great. And I think of blood sugar is a huge factor in our energy levels and how our body like manages those energy levels and we avoid the crash. So even yesterday I was having something sweet. What I try to do, and I, I talk a little bit about this in the book, is essentially a balance of protein, healthy fat, and a carbohydrate. So even just adding a little bit of protein and fat with that sweet treat or with something more sweet is actually going to help reduce your blood sugar spike and prevent that crash. So it sustains your energy on, in a better way. So it's, again, it, that goes very much against like diet culture that many of us have, um, you know, been, you know, impacted by the speak of like, oh, just, just less calories, less calories, less calories. Because when you add a protein and a fat, you're actually going to add calories, but your body will handle it better. So an example would be like, I love a date stuffed with peanut butter. I was about to say yes. that. Oh I call goodness. it nature's candy bar. And my husband it makes is. so much fun of me because he's like, this is not a it's, candy bar. And I'm like, but so it's so good. good. <laughs> and it, you can even freeze it or dip it in a little bit of like thin layer of dark oh chocolate and God, freeze try it. Try that. Oh, someone brought those to a party recently and I <sighs> just stood by the tray the whole time and I felt <laughs> completely justified. <laughs> I'm telling you what, it's going to change your life. Okay, You're right. that's happening this weekend. Definitely. So, but again, you added just a little bit that date on itself would give you that sweet treat fix, but you get a higher spike in your blood sugar and then feel probably that same crash. So adding a little protein or fat, or even if you want to have some dried fruit, like you were saying, but have a few nuts with it too. Just a way to balance that energy is going to serve you well and then help you get through that afternoon without having that that next feeling or the mood swing that comes after that, which is not what we want when our kids come home no, from school. No, <laughs> I love like a pistachio, a salty pistachio with a little bit of an apricot dried. Um, and I have found that if you keep these handy in your in your pantry with clear containers that are uh, like just kind of there looking at you and they're fresh, you're going to go to that because you can see it, the color. Um, and my kids always joke that I'm not a snack house. I'm an ingredient house. But, but I'm like, good. no, these are... These are snacks. They're just not processed in a bag. Right. So I'm just trying to make them even more accessible. So you just dip your hand in. Yes. So, um, yeah. uh, you know, it's all about negotiating. With, with totally. The kids, Finding that balance. There's also a good one. A dried fig stuffed with an almond tastes Ooh. a lot like, um, like a fig Newton. Oh, yes. Yeah. Come on. All yeah. right. Now, I know some of you are <laughs> completely eye-rolling right now. I know. <laughs> like, she did she just say a dried fig stuffed with an almond tastes like a treat? Like, we have not totally lost our mind. And so I'm glad you called that out. <laughs> yeah. No. Seriously, my kids one year, like, Kennedy is always like, Mom, why do adults talk about vegetables all the time? <laughs> and it's always in the summer when I'm gardening. So I'm always talking about, like, what I'm doing with the things we're harvesting. Yeah. And she's like, really? Eye-roll. Here we go again. Vegetable yes. talk. Here, here's one more for the people who are rolling their eyes at the dried fruit. <laughs> An apple with peanut butter. That's like still a, a fruit. I understand, but there's a sweet crunch of the apple dipped in peanut butter. Yeah. Like that's another great balance though. Instead of the apple on its own, have a little yeah. peanut butter to dip it in. 
And there's the side of me that's like with a dash of local honey, but then the, that's okay. me. Okay. That's my sweet. That's yeah. my sweet treat coming out. I'm sorry, guys. It's just every it's day. Okay. I'm always, there's always something. Okay. Let's talk before we close. We only have a couple minutes, but we're both kind of very kindred in this, you know, and, and partly my motivation was very much like yours, a desperation to be well uh, mentally, because when you're having panic attacks all the time, you feel like you're on the verge of tears all the time. You will do whatever you need to do to walk out a healing journey. And that had happened for me in my mid-30s. I was like, I don't know when the end of my days are, but they're not yet. And so I don't want to be in reaction mode or fearful mode for the next several decades. That's mm-hmm. that's not fun to be around um, for myself, but even my family. Um, and, and so God used that to catalyze a real why. Like, And I think sometimes for people, what is your why? Why are you caring about health or fitness or, or vocation? What is the, the thing? Why do you care? And I think for me, I was like, well, I was so lost and so desperate and so um, kind of at the end of all my means to get the life of flourishing that I was really promised by God. And so it took this intentional decision to go, this is going to be about the journey of healing and that there is no destination. Like you you walk into it going, we're releasing this like, yes, of course I want my kids around my deathbed and I want to like love everyone and hug and bless and all of those things, but I want to enjoy them as we go. And um, that does require intentionality around vocation, pursuing passion and leaning into vulnerability in relationships with your spouse or your best friends or your children, um, but but doing the things that matter. And so how have you found, because I get this a question a lot, how do you make room yeah. to prioritize the things that are vital for flourishing? Yes. I think this is an interesting question because it's one of the things we all know is very important. But for many people, it doesn't feel urgent, right? And so you were in a situation where it felt urgent. Like you had something happen where you're like, I need to, I can't live like this. There's no plan B. I can't live like plan B. Right. And so for some of us, we have those moments. For others, you know, unfortunately, we don't want to wait until it's urgent. You don't want, you know, none of us should want to wait until it's urgent. And so even recognizing the difference of importance and urgent and saying, because it's not urgent, it's likely going to get pushed off to next year, to tomorrow, to once we're done with vacations, you know, this idea of I'll get to it when I have time. And so I like to shift the whole way we think about it and say, because that, what, where that comes from is a real all or nothing mentality. So a perspective of, I have to start this diet plan. So I've got to make sure my schedule's clear. I have no travel coming up, you know, like we kind of get into that mode or I'll do that when I have, when my kids are done with soccer season, then I can start going to the gym five days a week. And, and when we have this, these big lofty, you know, it's great to have good goals and intentions, but really for sustainability and consistency, the more we can break it down into these really realistic steps, really try to overcome that all or nothing mentality. A workout does not have to be 45 minutes or an hour to be worth it, right? We talk about the value of 10 minutes all the time. I make a lot of 10 to 15 minute Pilates videos because what you can do in that amount of time can literally change your physiology. You get your heart pumping, you get your blood flowing. You, you, you mentioned this, you get hormones releasing, you actually shift out of potentially, you know, your sympathetic nervous system into your parasympathetic nervous system. Like the, 
we can do that in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then even the mentality of just saying, hey, what if I just did 10 minutes a day? Whether it's a 10-minute walk, 10 minutes of stretching, 10 minutes of dancing around the house, 10 minutes of Pilates, whatever is something that you are drawn to that you don't dread, (laughs) something that you would enjoy. When you say just 10 minutes, you are so much more likely to say, yes, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us get stuck when we just think, oh, it's got to be 35 or it's got to be 40, but now I got home late from work, so I don't really have time. And then we just do nothing. So break it down into the smallest, most reasonable. And people do not like this. People say to me all the time, You're, this doesn't work. Like you can't say 10 minutes works. And I'm like, it, just try it. Because what it will help you do is build the habit and then you realize how good you feel. And you feel accomplished. And there's actually a ton of research that says when after you do something like that, give yourself a little celebration, like acknowledge yourself, even give someone a high five in your house, do something to acknowledge that you did something good for your health and well-being that locks it into your brain as something you will more likely want to do again. And once you can start building, then you can build on that momentum. And all of a sudden it shifts from something you had to do to something you start craving and you find time for in your life. So start small. Absolutely. hundred percent. I talk about this in uh, the third chapter of Embrace Adversity. There's a chapter called Grow Incrementally. And the average, like an injured neuron grows two millimeters a day if it's got a regulating rhythm that it's doing that each day. And and you will affect more brain growth and brain health and rewiring old like destroyed like neural pathways by practicing like piano 10 minutes a day for a week versus one day for 90 minutes. Like you, yes. you would actually, you can give less time more repetitively to something to retrain your brain than one intensive thing. Because again, everything in moderation is sustainable. And that's actually what brings these regulating rhythms for health. And you're right, because I'm not good at extreme. I've tried like box gyms and going across town and giving like the first hour and a half. Well, I didn't make it much past two months. But then I'm like, okay, but what I have done all year is put a lot of steps in. You know, I try to do 10,000 a day if I can. If it doesn't work, that's fine. I'm not legalistic about it. Um, but I'm walking in the mornings and the evenings on some level. And if I'm listening to an audiobook while I'm in seminary because I can't read them all and sit, like there's other ways you can even multitask without feeling like you're just rushing through life. You you can get movement in, you retain better when there's a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and it does encourage people to go, okay, like if if your brain is active and like firing as it should, it will actually maximize your work time better because certainly you can work eight or nine or 10 hours a day, but those, if there's not a movement break in there somewhere like we do for our kids, yes, then, then half of that time's not as productive as it would have been. Yeah. So I'm all about like, cut it short, get outside, get back in if you need to, to, to keep going. But those, those breaks, it's almost like we just need to become like kids again. And our brains need just as much interruption as they do. We just have kind of distracted ourselves and kind of coped instead of going, though, let's, let's put these practices back in. And I love that you made these like accessible. And thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for doing that for this community, um, just for the work that you're doing. And while I'm like hate, like the catalytic things that gets us to where we are, it is that pain that God will use for purpose if we let it. And I'm really grateful for your work. So thank you, Robin. Thanks for your message, your life message. Thank you for writing this book. Everyone needs to get it. Um, I just, I'm so grateful for you. Oh, and thank you. And I feel the same way about you. So I've been impacted by your work and your books and 
love what you're doing as well. So hopefully others recognize too that they're not alone um, in this journey and that there are practical tools and support to keep making progress. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Robin and Rebecca. I know I learned a lot just listening to that. And if you've not tried Pilates, this is your chance. I hope you'll try it. I hope you'll engage. And and if you don't do Pilates and you're like me, maybe Pilates isn't for you, but that you'll commit to some kind of physical routine that helps you get physically strong. Cannot say enough about how much the physical in many ways starts to lead the spiritual. It leads the mental. It starts to give you confidence as you walk forward and whatever God's called you into in your life. And so I want to encourage you to get well to the core. This is Robin Long's book. That's a realistic guilt-free approach to getting fit and feeling good for a lifetime. And then take advantage of that code. Come join us at the Rhythms Retreat November 16 and 17 here in historic Franklin at the beautiful Harpeth Hotel. Bring a friend, bring a few friends, bring your spouse if you're married. But come come join us and be a part of that. And use code RFL100, and you can do that at RebeccaLyons.com slash retreat. Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Until next time, we'll see you soon.